If you would, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> there you go. That was you all expressing your excitement as you opened your Bible. So uh, the same joy involved in going to children's church is the same joy involved in, in opening your word right now. So, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're joining us for one of the first times in a while or maybe for the first time ever, we're right in the middle of a series of messages called One Another. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 12, trying to take 12 through 16 as a chunk. And then our Sunday school classes, many of them are studying 1 Corinthians 1 through 11 simultaneously. So you're kind of getting the, the overarching idea there of 1 Corinthians. And we're thinking together as a church, what does it look like for God to bring our lives together? What does it look like to live out the one another's of Scripture? One of the ways we're doing that is through a daily email devotion. And so Monday through Friday, between what began in January and continues up to Easter, I'm sending out a daily devotion around the topic of one another. If you have missed those devotions, jump in. Uh, if you'll fill out one of those connect cards and just put your email in there, we'll get you signed up for those. Even if you say, you know what, I'm probably not going to be back in Emmaus, I'm visiting, or this just may not be the right place, we'd still love to bless you by, by sending these. It's not that the writing is all that great, it's the value of gathering together around God's word every day as a church, reading the same things, thinking about the same things. We're about to get into a pattern with those devotions where we're going to dive into the individual one another's of scripture. Pray for one another, serve one another, confess your sins to one another. So we're going to take those one at a time as we do this together. And I think that will be an exciting time for us as, as a church. All right, without further ado, let's continue this journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to back up and start in verse 1, read down through verse 11, because 8 through 11 is our focus this morning. And I'm not even close to the right place. All right, let's try again. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In some sense, verse 7 is probably the summary verse, so if you're an underliner, verse 7 is kind of the core. But let's pick up 8 through 11 because we're going to talk about those today. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Then verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the reading of his word. So as we've been thinking about our marriage conference coming up here at Emmaus early in February, it made me start thinking about, okay, so yeah, then comes Valentine's Day a couple of days after that. Oh, it means, means I have to think of a gift uh, to buy. 
And then a couple of months after that comes Mother's Day. <laughs> That's another gift. And then a couple of months after that, my amazing wife has a birthday, of which number you don't need to worry about, but she has another bir- she has a birthday coming. That, that's a gift. And then a few months after that, Christmas comes back around. And, and that's a gift. And by this point, my blood pressure is, is through the roof, and I have sweaty palms because you've never met a worse gift giver uh, than me. Please love my wife and, and, and take care of her. You remember the old Gary Chapman idea of the five love languages? That you express your love to people through the words you say, or spending time with them, or, or serving them, or giving them nice touches, or buying them gifts. Oh my word, like my stomach just starts to churn when it comes to the idea of buying gifts. And I try so hard, and they go so incredibly badly. <laughs> like um, the things I try to buy. Here's, here's what I found out. I am an incredible gift giver when I get a URL that I can put into the web browser, hit go, and it pops up the gift, and then I just put my credit card number in there, and the gift ships to me, pre-wrapped, ready to hand off. My gift giving is off the charts at at, at that point. Um, If left to my own devices to give a gift, it is a really, really sad experience. Um, and so, just love Amanda. Somebody this last week bought her the most special thing. It was so meaningful and thoughtful and simple and just exactly. I thought, how did they do that? <laughs> I, I've known this lady. I love this lady with everything I have. And I can't pick out a gift worth anything. We're talking about gifts this morning. And so even that topic kind of makes me feel like, oh man, I'm just not, not great when it comes to gifts. But we're talking about spiritual gifts. And what we're gonna do over the next few minutes is a sort of introduction to spiritual gifts. When you hear that phrase, when you hear that idea, what are we talking about? We've, we've talked about this a little bit, but we're gonna do it again today and just kind of get some momentum going. If you are here I want you to know that as a believer, as a part of Emmaus, I hope that this morning would function kind of like a launching pad for you. It provides that foundation and we jump here. Maybe it's like a trellis that you build the structure and the vine can kind of grow in it. That's what we're trying to do this morning with this time in God's word. If you are not a follower of Jesus and you think, you know, man, I was hoping to get something out of this and this guy's talking about spiritual gifts, what's going on here? What might be helpful for you this morning as you're considering the scriptures, you're considering the things of Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is for you to see what we're talking about is not a Christian Myers-Briggs test or not a Christian Strength Finders test or something like that. There's nothing wrong with those tests. There's absolutely a place for that. Nothing wrong with that. What we're talking about, though, is what does it look like for the power of God to be at work in people? So those Christians, they believe in a powerful God who saves them, but that salvation is not a one-time thing. There's something else going on there. This morning is trying to answer that question. And let me also say, if you came in this morning and you are hurting deeply, you were facing things in life that are just absolutely overwhelming, there might be a moment that you would say, oh man, why something like spiritual gifts like, Oh, and I am desperate for hope and healing right now. Why this? Here's what I would want you to hear. The greatest gift that God could give you is to be a surrounded by a church that understands the power of spiritual gifts. Because what you need right now, if you are hurting deeply, is not just a great sermon. 
usually I'm lucky just to hit a sacrifice fly and advance us to the next week. You are not most in need of a great sermon right now. What you are most in need of is the love of God's people around you, showing you grace, showing you hope, showing you healing. And so you may be hurting deeply this morning and think, ah, I really need something. And what I would say, what God wants to do for you is he wants to surround you with people who understand that they are gifted and empowered to love one another. Because that is where he will begin to move you toward healing. That is where he will point you toward hope. So what we're doing right now is not just saying, hey, let's be a better church. It's saying, let's be who God has called us to be. Let's be who God has empowered us to be. How do we do that? We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And I've done a, on your notes, if you've got a bulletin and you'd like to follow along on the back of that bulletin, I've done kind of a 101, 201, 301, 401, sort of a four-step process that we're going to follow. First step first step is to understand the gospel foundation for spiritual gifts. To understand that when we talk about this, we're not just talking about strength finders or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or something like that. We're talking about something that at the very core is built on the idea of the gospel, starting with the fact that God is a giver. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, this idea that all these are empowered by one spirit, it uses the word there, apportions, that the Spirit apportions, he distributes, he divides out the inheritance. Here's something really fascinating. That word in 1 Corinthians 12 is the same word that shows up in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son, when the father begins to hand out, to distribute the inheritance first to the prodigal son, to the younger son, and then ultimately to the older son as well. But a father in the ancient world was the one who gave the inheritance, who one who gave the gift to his kids. And we serve a God who loves to give gifts. Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As a parent, when you give your kid gifts, the desire is that they will receive and use those gifts. We've now reached the point in the year that you are finding all the Christmas gifts unused, tucked away, hidden in the toy box. Uh, we, Amanda work, Amanda's a great gift giver, uh, which balances out my poor gift giving, but uh, Amanda gave our six-year-old a really special present, um, and it's going to be awesome when she's about 25. She's going to love it. Uh, it it's really going to come around, and so really put thought into this. We spent, it was going to be really special. The other day, we got into the van, and we also, at the Dollar Tree, had bought her like a coloring book that had the crayons kind of packaged in the back of the coloring book. She said, oh, mom, this this is so special. Like, I, I really, oh, like we tried to give you this really amazing gift, and she loves the coloring book with the crayons that are attached to, attached to the back. And that one is used. The other one is, I found it last night at the very bottom of her toy pile, in, you know, in her, in her room. It works that way. The father gives good gifts to his kids in order for those to be received and used. Here's something really interesting that I had not thought much about until this last week. When you look at spiritual gifts in Scripture, what you find there are reflections of God's character, God's attributes. When God is giving gifts to his people, 
He is giving of himself. He is showing himself. The gift of wisdom, he is all wise. The gift of knowledge, he holds all knowledge. The gift of teaching, he is the great teacher. The gift of leadership, he governs the whole universe. The gift of hospitality, he invites us into his world. When you see spiritual gifts listed in scripture, those are not separate from God himself. The giftings that he gives us as his children are reflections of who he is. And so as we receive those gifts, in a very real sense, we are receiving God himself. He is at work among his people. And so don't think like, here's the gift and here's the giver. It's that he has come to us. He is showing his power through us. That's reflected in his son, Jesus Christ. The next uh, slide up on the, up here, Reflecting the idea of who Jesus is, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it talks about how grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When you read about Jesus in Scripture, it's almost impossible to do that apart from the word gift. That in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Mark 10, 45, that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The work of Christ is in giving the Holy Spirit. He has given the promise of the Spirit to his people. He told his followers that you will do greater things even than I have done. How will you do that? It's through the promise of the Holy Spirit. John 16 is a good reflection of that. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus has given us his truth, his power, his love, this example of what it looks like to serve. And here's the fourth part of that gospel foundation, so Father, Son, Spirit, and the Word. Scripture. One of our commitments at Emmaus, and this is very important to me, and and I want it to be reflected in our church, is that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are not in competition. That what we did earlier during the music time was not the Spirit time, and then this is the Word time, as if those two times were somehow separate. Or that there are the people who are really spiritual and those who are really Word-centered, as if that's even possible. That the Spirit who was active in the creation of the world That the Spirit who brings salvation and establishes the church and prepares us for the new creation, that the Scripture who gave the Word and enlightens the Word for the people of God, the Spirit and the Word are always at work together. And so when we're talking about the work of the Spirit and spiritual gifts, that's not somehow separate from the Word of God. We have to keep those two together. And when you look at church in modern-day America— really quickly you divide into two camps like oh that's the spiritual churches and there's certain reflections behind that and those are the word churches and there's certain perceptions about that oh it's so dangerous the power of God and his people is when the spirit of God and the word of God are at work together because they're not in competition so that's the gospel foundation the father gives gifts through the son by the power of the Holy Spirit on the foundation of his word. That is the foundation for understanding spiritual gifts. So let's talk about the biblical framework. Let's talk about how this shows up in scripture. This is getting to the the 201 part. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12 if you still have it open in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, if you look down there at verse 8, 
What does it look like in Scripture when the spiritual gifts start to show up? Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. The word utterance there in the Greek is just the word for word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. On the screen, I've just kind of bullet pointed those out for you to see the way that this works. Now, if you are new to your New Testament, and we want this to be a place that you come and you don't have to have all the answers uh, about the Bible, because if you do, you're in the wrong place because none of us have all the answers about the Bible. But don't come in thinking, ah, I just don't know as much about the Bible as they do. It's just not the place for me. We want this to be a starting place for you. Here's the point. If you were reading this for the first time, maybe this is the first time you've thought about God giving gifts to his people, and you read that list, you would think, okay, there's the gifts that God gives to his people. Here's the surprising thing. There are multiple spiritual gift lists in the New Testament. In fact, if you just flip over one page to 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see another listing of sort. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a cleaning symbol. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Many scholars identify 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, as another listing of spiritual gifts. In a few weeks, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Corinthians 14 really emphasizes particular gifts. But it doesn't stop in 1 Corinthians. It's all throughout the the pages of the Bible. You go to Romans chapter 12. I've got this listed up on the screen, but Romans chapter 12, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So let us use them. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, acts of mercy. Doesn't stop in Romans 12. You go to Ephesians chapter four. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. Doesn't even stop there. First Peter chapter four, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, speaking and serving. First Peter four is interesting because essentially provides two groupings and two categories: speaking gifts and serving gifts. First Corinthians seven seven uses the same word for spiritual gifts, but Paul says, "I wish that all were as I myself am," and he's talking about being unmarried at that point. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. For Paul, singleness is a spiritual gift, not a burden or anything like that. It's a gift from God. To each is given his gift, and the same word. Spiritual gift is used there in reference to being single or being unmarried. What do you make of the fact that there are all these different gifts, the different lists given in the New Testament? Well, I've kind of put a slide together uh, to, to summarize some of these things for you. How do we get our mind around the fact that there are these different gifts? First, prophecy is the only gift in each of the main lists that's repeated. Uh, 
Now, prophecy, in a lot of senses, has replaced speaking in tongues as the most controversial gift in the modern-day church. Take that idea, kick it a few, down, a few weeks down the road, and, and we'll come back to it and begin to kind of address that idea. But it's interesting that prophecy is the only one repeated in each of the main lists. The second thing that stands out is the variety seems purposeful. When Paul was writing 1 Corinthians and he was writing Romans, he didn't just randomly forget what he wrote in 1 Corinthians and make up a new list in, in Romans. It wasn't like, ah, oh, I can't remember what I said there. What are those spiritual gifts? It, it doesn't work that way. It seems much more the fact that he's not trying to list every gift because that wasn't the point. That the gifts of God are various and they're, they're meant to be different even in different situations. Now, it doesn't mean if a gift is listed in one place and not another, that it's somehow stopped, that it somehow no longer exists. It doesn't mean that one way or another. But what it does seem to speak to is that different churches required a different focus. He lists certain gifts in 1 Corinthians because those were the things that the church at Corinth was dealing with. And he lists other gifts in Romans because that is what the church at Rome needed to hear. And he lists different gifts for Ephesians because that's what the church at Ephesus needed to hear. Which says that God places and gives gifts that are specific, that fit well for the church, what they need at that time. Nowhere in scripture is it ever said that your spiritual gift will remain the same throughout life. Now there's no requirement that it changes, but there's nothing that says that you wouldn't have a gift for a particular situation or that if you went somewhere else, God wouldn't give you another gift because that's exactly what that church needed at that time. These gift lists are uh, they're diverse on purpose because it reflects how God wants to work among his people. And that's the idea there, the third bullet point, that the context and situation is important. The key principles, kind of those baseline ideas, and we, we addressed this last week, is that it's God's power through his spirit, everyone is involved, and you're gifted in order to build up others and display Jesus. Those are kind of those baseline principles. Now let's go to another, another topic. On your notes, this is talking about defining the terms. What do we even mean when we say spiritual gift? And, and here's what I'm getting at on this point. One of the questions I get asked the most <laughs> And the one I'm still just not 100% sure how to answer, but I'm trying to, trying to work on it, is what is the relationship between a spiritual gift and a talent? So I feel talented in this way. I feel like I'm good at this particular thing. Could that be my spiritual gift? Christians, um, and Christians named Owen Neese in particular, can really overcomplicate things at times. Uh, and when it comes to spiritual gifts, I, I think this is one of those areas that sometimes someone looking in at us would say, man, you have completely overcomplicated what, what's going on there. Just because you have a talent doesn't automatically mean that that's your spiritual gift. At the same time, God might well use a talent you have as a spiritual gift to build up the body and display Jesus. Some of this is our understanding of the word gift. The word gift comes with a lot of connotations. We talked about gifted and talented programs last week. It's better, in my opinion, to get the word, I'm not saying get rid of the phrase spiritual gift. Think of it as spiritual empowerment. 
what has God empowered me to do that builds up others and points people to Jesus? So if you get caught up in this tension between gift and talent, think about it like this way. What has God empowered me to do that builds up the church and points people toward Jesus? There's a quote on the next slide that I want you to see uh, that comes from a pretty well-known commentator. He says, It would seem wrong either on the one hand to confine the gifts of the Spirit to natural abilities harnessed and released by God, or on the other hand to assert that the real gifts of the Spirit are only those which are manifestly supranatural. In other words, you know, I love to teach, but I could do that whether I was a Christian or not, so surely that can't be my gift, versus, whoa, that person prophesied or spoke in tons or had a word of wisdom. They, they must be really spiritual. At that point, now you're in a situation where you put these two things in competition that I don't think Scripture ever puts in competition. The key question is, how has God's grace empowered you to serve others? What does God do through you that someone looks at you and they say, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I was on the edge of wanting to throw in the towel and give up, and I did not know how I would keep going another day, but God put you in my life, and I'm going to keep going. Or you know what, I haven't grown in my faith, or I haven't known as much about following Jesus, except when God brought you into my life and used me in a particular way. It's those type of things that God uses to point us in a direction to say, this is how I've gifted you. This is what I've done in your life. This is how I'm empowering you to impact other people. Once you define spiritual gift, then step two is you've got to start defining all the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. And so you have the gift list in 1 Corinthians 12, and in Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And let me just be honest from a pastoral perspective, I'm not 100% sure how to walk us through this as a church. We don't have time, for sure, this morning. And even the way that I feel like God is leading us over the next few weeks, I don't really see us walking through each gift individually. Uh, so we're going to hit some of them over the next few weeks, but uh, kind of give you two thoughts on this. And this is literally me just kind of thinking out loud about the best way to, uh, to handle this. One is I pray that as you start to think about, God, how have you empowered me to impact others, you would go on a personal journey, or you would go on a journey in your Sunday school class or small group of, I need to go figure this out. I need to go learn about this and pursue this. Here's the second thought. Since our daily devotions through the email end at Easter, what we might end up doing is we might go Easter to Passover and walk through the spiritual gifts in the New Testament via that email devotion. If you say, I can never see Owen's name pop up in my email inbox again, no harm, no foul. That's not gonna be a problem to me. I haven't written these either, so we have to figure out if that's gonna happen or, or not, but as your pastor, and more so as your friend, I want us to be able to walk through this process together. What does it look like when the Bible says you have the gift of mercy? What does it look like when the Bible says you might have the gift of hospitality or leadership or teaching? There's a lot of exploration that's involved there, and so I want us to do that well together as the church, and we're going to go on the journey and try to figure out, figure out how to do that. Okay, let's get to 301 now on your notes. What does it look like? How do I become a 1 Corinthians 12 Christian? How do I become a 1 Corinthians 12 Christian? First role 
or first, first step, distinguish a role, a gift, and a responsibility. Would you look one more time at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 with me again? You see these gifts listed out there. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Here's something that I hope would be so helpful and freeing for you as you think about this topic. What you have to do is you have to, when you look at these gifts, distinguish a gift that would function as a role in the church. For example, someone who has the gift of teaching and they function as a teacher in the local church. Either they're teaching on Sunday morning or they're teaching a Bible study or they're teaching a particular class. They're doing that type of role. Step two would be, I have the gift of teaching, but I may not be teaching a class right now in the local church, but God gives me other opportunities to teach somebody. That's a gifting. A responsibility would be, every Christian has the responsibility to teach other believers what it means like to follow, to follow Jesus. So you have an established role in the church, you have a spiritual gift that God's empowered you to do something, and then you have a responsibility that every one of the gifts, to a certain degree, that's listed in the New Testament, becomes everyone's responsibility to live out. Because here's the danger. Somebody would say, ah, that's not really my gift. Therefore, there's the gift of evangelism. Well, God has established the role of the evangelist in the church. He gifts some people with the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean the rest of us can just never tell anybody about Jesus. We all have the responsibility for evangelism. Hospitality. There are certain people who have a role to make a local church a place where people feel welcome. It's hospitable. You love to do that. Some people have a particular gifting. They love to have people into their home. They love to be hospitable. That doesn't mean the rest of us can just lock our doors and pull the shades and never practice hospitality. There's a Christian, even though I've thought about that a few times in my life, the introverts among us are like, oh man, that's so hard. There's a role, there's a gift, there's a responsibility. Be careful in saying, well, that's not my gift, therefore I never have to do X. It doesn't work like that. You have to see a role, a gift, a responsibility, which leads to the next point, point B down there. Know your gifts. And if you don't like the word gift, if that's throwing you off, know how has God empowered me to serve other people and point people toward Jesus? How do you know your gifts? Well, we have killed a lot of trees to make 10-page packets to put into your hands so you could go through the process of knowing how has God empowered me? How has God shaped and prepared me to impact others? If you want one of those spiritual gift packets, they're on the tables as you exit here in a couple of minutes or they're at the coffee bar. You can pick one of those up and, and take it with you. On the back of that is a spiritual gift survey. I'll tell you right now, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of the spiritual gift surveys except for the fact that I think they can be helpful for kind of priming the pump, kind of pointing you in a particular direction. My wife, who is an incredible disciple maker and loves to spend time with people, she loves those spiritual gift surveys because they get people thinking in a particular direction. Um, 
if you want to take the survey, take the survey. If the survey turns you off to the idea of spiritual gifts in Scripture, scrap the survey. You don't have, you don't have to do that. It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Probably a more valuable way to know your spiritual gift is, one, to get some experience, try some things. If you're not very good at it, back up and say, did I feel like God was using me in that situation to build other people up? And my favorite way, and the way that I would point you to every time, is just ask the people around you. How do you see that God has gifted and empowered me to impact other people? If we could ask that question over and over and over again at Emmaus, that it became natural to us, I think that puts us on a whole new direction. That you're constantly asking people, how has God gifted and empowered me to impact other people? And then you go to the very next point on your notes. You come to the point that you celebrate this diversity and it begins to create synergy in the church. There's a good quote on the next slide here um, from a couple of commentators on 1 Corinthians. They say, just as there are no one-member churches, neither are there any every-member gifts. God, on purpose, has made us a diverse people. He has set us up in such a way that we need one another. Because that leads to 401 on your notes. How do we become a 1 Corinthians church? 1 Corinthians 12 church. You really don't want to be a 1 Corinthians church. Now that I think about it. So, man, I, you see these churches uh, in, in rural Mississippi, especially when we lived in Mississippi, there was a lot of churches that would call themselves Corinth Baptist Church. And I would always think about, man, I'd love to go to a place called Emmaus than a place called Corinth. Like, Emmaus, you're confronting Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Corinth, yeah, you, got a lot of, you got a lot of things going on at that point. Um, how do we become a 1 Corinthians 12 church? Point number one, or point A. We need and value one another. Everyone is involved. If God is leading you here, the main question you are asking is not what will I get from that place, but how would God use me there? If God is leading you to a local church, your main question is not what would I get from that, but how would God use me there? What I dream of, and I was sharing this with our Sunday school class this morning, what I dream of is a situation in which you think to yourself, if I am not involved there, someone else will miss out in what God wants to do through me. Not because you're prideful, not because you think you're all that great. It's not. You're, you're completely humbled under the power of God, but you're so connected to one another that if you're not involved, someone doesn't grow in their faith. Someone doesn't keep going. Someone isn't encouraged at the lowest moment in their life. That God has connected us in such a way that I have to be there because if you're dependent on listening to me, listening to David when he leads music, you can show up or not show up. We might be able to see you depending on where you sit in the building, know if you were here or not here. But if there's someone else here who needs you because of how God has empowered you, you have to be involved because your life is connected to them. God is using you to minister to them. Point B, we focus on developing people, not programs. We're here to make disciples. We're here to build people up so that they are set free. One of the dangers of having too much programming, too much scheduling, is you just kind of go along with whatever's given there, and you never give any thought to, how might God use me? There's limitless opportunities to how God would use you to impact other people. The illustration here is the coach, the basketball coach, 
that gets a bunch of tall guys on his team and says, you know what, I always run a spread offense. That's the only offense I ever run. This is the program we're going to run. We're going to run a spread offense. I mean, you have a bunch of tall guys who can't dribble. Like, why would you, why would you do that? You don't say, this is the program. We're just going to fit people in there. You say, who has God given me? Let's be that church. So at Emmaus, and, and I say this care, carefully because I, I don't mean to come around the, across the wrong way. In some sense, I could care less what programs we have. We're caring about who God has brought here. Who are the people of Emmaus, and how do we set them free to be the people that God has called them to be? Because we don't want to build up our programs. We want to make disciples so people are set free to love and serve and encourage and endure together. So we're building up those people. Point C, we value growing, training, feedback, and leadership. Never say, I'm gifted in X, therefore nobody can tell me how to do X. Well, that's the worst attitude imaginable. Like, I'm gifted in hospitality, nobody can tell me how to live that out. Or I'm a really gifted teacher, nobody can tell me how to teach. If you're gifted in an area, you should be obsessive about feedback in that area because you want to give everything you have to being the person that God has created you to be. And so we're obsessive about getting feedback and input and how do I grow in this particular area. Point D, we serve humbly and courageously. We're not here to show off. And we're not going to live scared. Did I lose my mic? Man, I thought, man, I am preaching loud. This is awesome. They had to turn me down because I was preaching, uh, preaching so loud. Uh-oh. We go with director's mic? Yeah. It's very trendy now to preach from a round table and hold a mic like this. So uh, we're going to go with that. All right. Point D, we serve humbly and courageously. We're not here to show off. Equally so, we give people room to make mistakes. If someone says, you know, I really feel gifted in this area, I want to get involved, they get involved and they don't do particularly well, the first response is not, well, sorry, can't do that again. It might just be that you need some reps, you need some training, you need some, uh, some insight. Okay, let's get to the end here because I really do feel out of whack with this. <laughs> Point E, we exist, all of us together, to proclaim and display Jesus. Let me show you Ephesians 2 again. I think we looked at this either last week or the week before. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, I want to be a part of a church that is built on the foundation of the gospel, that is committed to a biblical framework, that is full of people who love the idea of being a 1 Corinthians 12 believer who's constantly asking, how has God empowered me? So that we can become a 1 Corinthians 12 church where all we care about together is how do we proclaim and display Jesus. That's what I want to do with you. That's what I want to do alongside you, and that is what I pray God is going to do in and through us as a church. We're going to get ready right now for our response time. Here's what we're going to do today during our response time. If you're at a situation in life that you need someone to pray for you, there are going to be ministers up here at the front. We would love to pray for you, but let me, let me remind you, there are people around you gifted and empowered by God to pray for you. 
you may not need to come up here to the front. You may need to turn to somebody beside you and say, would you just pray for me? I can't tell you all the details. I just need you to pray for me. Let's minister to one another. The band's going to come back up, and they're going to lead us through a song that talks about how everything we have, even the breath in our lungs, is to be given for the Lord. Your response this morning might just be to sing with all your heart, with everything you have. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to prepare for that time of response. Father, I know that the, uh, the nature of the sermon this morning is that there was a lot of ground to cover a lot of things I want us to think about, but God, I pray that this would not be an ending point. The whole idea, God, is that this would be a springboard for where you want to take us as a church. Father, I pray that for every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, that they would consider how you have empowered them to love and serve and impact the people around them. Father, I pray that if there are people here today who are not followers of Jesus, but they're curious about what that means, they want to know more about the things of the Bible, God, that what they would have heard and seen this morning is that Christianity is not about one person standing on a stage to lead people through a religious activity every week, but it's your power at work in our lives, that we have salvation as a gift through Jesus, and then you continue to gift your people to make a difference in the world. God, you are the one who's created the world. You are the one who has put breath in our lungs. And so every day that you give us, Father, we want to live completely for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.